I'm Paulina Lee, and this is Here at Haas, a student-run podcast connecting you to all Haasies and the faculty that change our lives. This week on Here at Haas, we are joined by Alan Duong of the Evening Weekend MBA Class of 2022. He's a photographer, podcaster, veteran, outdoor enthusiast, and the newly elected EVP of the EWMBA Association. Welcome. Glad to be here, Paulina. This is really fun. This is going to be special. Thanks for having me. You know, you've had a really interesting journey to Haas, and I would love for you to share about your background and how you ended up at Haas. I'm born and raised in the Bay Area, and growing up, my parents were Vietnamese refugees from the Vietnam War, and it was just my sister and I growing up, we had some very close families. Cousins were super close, a very traditional Asian, like a Vietnamese family. You know, we grew up fairly poor. And I recognized pretty early on in my life that I kind of wanted something more in my life. But because of a lot of the financial limitations that we had in my family, I took the onus to join the military in order to, you know, one, serve the country to give back to the country that gave my parents a lot of opportunities. And then two, use it as a spring path to pay for college because my parents only had enough money to cover my sister and barely anything for themselves. And I didn't want them to have any financial obligations towards my career or my education. So I joined the military. They paid my way through school with the San Jose State. Sparred, what's up? I was able to hustle and use a lot of the opportunities that I had in my business fraternity, Alpha Kappa Psi, and got some really good lucky breaks. I ultimately always knew that Haas Berkeley was something I've always wanted in my life. And I took the GMAT. It was a two-year journey for me because I'm not the smartest person around. And I've just been very blessed to be in this position and just count my blessings every single day to take advantage of every opportunity that I have to make sure that not only am I representing myself really well and my family, but representing the greater Haas community as best that I can. I love that you were in AK Psy because so was I. So I believe that makes us actual brothers. Oh, what's up? (laughs) (laughs) Would love for you to talk a little bit about your military career. I think we've had a few veterans on the podcast. And I think, you know, you guys always have really insightful life experiences. So we'd love you to share a little bit more there. So I'm an enlisted military member. I, I left as a sergeant and I joined at 17 years old. So that required my parents to sign off for shipping me off to boot camp. I went to Fort Knox, Kentucky. Then afterwards, I came back from my senior year of high school, graduated, and then I went to uh, Fort Jackson, South Carolina. And I worked in the military as a finance guy. (laughs) So I've always had this path of always doing finance in the military. And my current job now, I'm a senior finance analyst at LinkedIn of all freaking places. Did you know when you enlisted that finance was where you wanted to be within the military? I'm going to be completely honest. The answer is no. <laughs> so uh, so for the enlisted folks who know, I'm not sure if the officers do this, but you have to uh, take this exam called the ASVAB. Mm. And then depending on how well you score, you, you're opened up to a variety of job opportunities. So I scored really well. And I had a lot of opportunities open up to me. And originally, I wanted to do something like military intelligence. But I remember I talked to my parents about this and they're like, oh, if you do this, you're going to die. <laughs> and everything like hinged on my mom, like thinking I was going to die for some reason. And ultimately, I decided something along the lines of finance would have a lot of transferable skills for me and my career in the future. But then also something that I felt that I was pretty good at. I, I was a math nerd 
growing up, I really enjoyed math, and I thought, hey, this could be something transferable down the line. And honestly, to God, like I was wasn't really thinking like ten, fifteen years out in my life. The chips fell, and they just got me in a really good position in my life and my career. And how long were you in the army before you did your undergrad at San Jose State? So I actually did it concurrently. I was a reservist. But I also worked there on normal orders because I had a really good sergeant, Sergeant Vu, who really took care of me. So he put me on orders in order for me to earn money while I went to college. I worked for the military, even though I was reservist, almost like full time. And then I went to school like later in the afternoon, in the evenings. Uh, so it took me four and a half years to graduate undergrad. But I left there with no debt, so I, I can't really complain uh, at all. And then after graduating, you continued on in the military for a few years. Yeah, I continued in the military for a couple years, and luckily it just worked out because I was able to get a job at Lockheed Martin. It really helped because I knew the lingo, I knew the products, and it was an easy transition into civilian life for me. Do you think there was anything in particular during your time in the army that prepared you or gave you a leg up as you transitioned to Lockheed Martin or in your career so far? <laughs> there are some military folks and. In the army, they just really prepare you for the real world. And shout out to all the officers at Haas right now because some of you guys are some piece of work. They have varying personalities. They ask one thing, but they mean something else. And so early on in my life and in my career, I had the opportunity to work with very different personality types. Being exposed to that so early in my life, and then continuing on through like the the formative years of my life, really helped me get a leg up when I was able to transition into Lockheed Martin because. Only a year into Lockheed Martin, I was accepted into a really prestigious finance program called the FLDP Finance Leadership Development Program. On average, it takes about two years to get into the program, but because I knew how to work with varying personalities of very senior folks, I knew how to talk to executives. Because when you're working in finance for the army, you have to work with higher level folks because you're setting the budget for the entire unit. So it just really worked out from my end. That makes complete sense. You're working with a lot of strong personalities, not just any personalities. Yeah, yeah. We'd love for you to talk a little bit more about your time at Lockheed Martin. You were there for almost six years, so you had a very strong career. What were your roles? What did you learn, and why did you decide to move on? Gosh, I, you know, I never really had a chance to sit back and reflect on my、um, almost six-year career at Lockheed Martin. First off, I'll sum it off by saying it was such an incredible opportunity for my life. For someone, especially coming from my background, I had the opportunity to work with some of the most brightest people whom I've ever met in my entire life. You had research scientists who were always trying to discover the latest technology. You had people who. Were lifers. They've been at Lockheed Martin for like thirty plus years, and then you've also had people from a variety of backgrounds, from Stanford folks to Berkeley folks to just run of the mill folks. I mean, I'm getting a little emotional about it because my time there, I've taken on a lot of mentors who guided me in my career, and through my six years, I've met mentors and friends who I will always consider my closest friends in my life. So I can sum it up by saying, without Lockheed Martin, I I really wouldn't be the man who I am today. That's completely one hundred and ten percent true. 
No, it sounds like you had a really great career, really great mentors. Um, I totally identify with that as well. I've been with P&G for eight and a half years now, and it's the people at this company and it's people that, that really make an impact on your life and shapes your career. I am super curious. It sounds like you had a really strong network at Lockheed Martin. What made you make the switch? Well, I got in Berkeley and almost immediately afterwards, I updated my LinkedIn and then boom, like 15 people messaged me like, hey, like we love your credentials. You know, you go to Berkeley, like would you be interested? But one opportunity piqued my interest. Her name is Nancy Lee. She's my current manager. She's also a Hossi. She actually just graduated like the, the July before I came in in August. So, you know, we had a strong connection because of the Haas thing. But then also the reason why I chose to move on in my career is because a couple things. I wanted to go into banking, using Haas as a conduit to go into banking. And prior to doing that, I felt, gosh, like I kind of need to diversify my experience a bit more. I've been with Lockheed for, at that time, almost six years. I've learned everything. And the last thing I ever wanted in my career is to get complacent. Because even my mentors told me the same thing. Complacency will kill your career if you're not constantly trying to improve. I was able to get the opportunity with LinkedIn. I spoke to a lot of close mentors about it. And I talked to my study group. Shout out to Greg, Vinay, Jenny, and Gaeta. They helped me kind of navigate it as well. They said, hey, Lockheed has been a great spring path for you to build and get your career in a great trajectory. But this is an opportunity for you to spread your wings or fly like an eagle or something like that. This was my opportunity to show that I was more than someone who could work in defense and government. It's it's only because I took the risk to get out of my comfort zone to try something completely new. That's so true. I mean, even just coming to school is getting out of the comfort zone too. And though I guess you also worked and went to school in your undergrad as well. So part-time school, yeah. full-time job is something very familiar to you, I'm sure. Yep. <laughs> you mentioned your GMAT process was two years. Mine was also multiple years, kind of took it right out of school and was like, ah, maybe I'll wait. It expired. And then I spent a whole nother year taking it. So I'm just curious, did you always know you wanted to get your MBA or what was that point at your time at Lockheed where you said, hey, I want an MBA. I'm going to use this as a pivot point. And now's the time in my life that I want to go after and get it. I'll start off with the last question then I'll go into my GMAT journey. So there's two reasons why I wanted to get my MBA. One of them was that I wanted to do a uh, pivot into banking. It turns out that at Haas, I realized that wasn't really what I wanted to do. But then secondly, this is kind of my passion project that I wrote my essay on. I'm a big outdoor enthusiast. I, I founded my own backpacking club called the Greenfoot Hiking Club. But I'm also a really passionate climber. Prior to starting my GMAT journey, I actually volunteered at this program called Citizen Schools for about two years. This organization focuses on equitable education for less fortunate communities and specifically schools. And so that's something that I'm really passionate about, given that I'm from that background. And I thought about wanting to marry my two I, my passions together, helping people from less fortunate backgrounds and something that I truly care about, which is climbing. And when I was thinking about what I wanted to do in my career was building a pay what you can rock climbing gym specifically catered or focused on you know, communities that are less fortunately served because I recognized that when I was growing up, I had a community center that helped me not fall into the wrong crowds. I recognized that a lot of people in my area and growing up in San Jose, that happens to a lot of kids who don't have you know, the right mentors and the right people watching over them, kids who don't have the right 
social construct to support them. I don't like that. So that's why I wanted to pursue my MBA initially. The GMAT journey, whew, man, let me tell you. <laughs> um, I began studying for this in 2015. I'm telling you, this like just studying off the books and I was like, yo, this is, this is pretty hard. I had to break out all of it. And I was like, I know I'm good at math, but why is this so difficult? Data sufficiency? Come on, what the hell? <laughs> I began studying for it officially in 2016. That was my New Year's resolution. I was like, yo, I'm gonna get in Berkeley because that's the school I wanna get into. Boy, that did not happen. I took my prep exam and I was like, yo, I got a 720. Let's get this. I took that exam. I got a 540. I was like, yo, <laughs> what happened? And so I, I kept having a course correct. And ultimately, it was a journey of ups and downs. And I'm going to be completely honest, full disclosure. I took the exam seven times. The max is eight. So the final time that I took it, like I finally got like in the Haas's average and the first thing I did when I walked out there was I cried in my car and I played Whitney Houston's song, that song about like children are the future, believing in what you and stepping out of your shadow, mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah, I cried and I listened to Whitney Houston. Big fan, by the way. Rest <laughs> in peace. That's that's crazy. And I think it's a it's good to share because I think a lot of people when you're preparing for the GMAT and you're looking at the top five, top 10 schools, and you go onto Reddit, and everyone's just posting up oh. 700 pluses, like, oh, it's fun. You oh. study for an hour or two a day, and you get a 700. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. You're, you're going to, like, uh, Reddit slash MBA or Reddit yep. slash uh, GMAT, mm -hmm. and then people are like, oh, hey, here's my guide to get into 760. I studied for two months using just this one source. I'm like, bro. <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah, the rest of us normal people, that didn't that's not how it worked. <laughs> not how it works. I'm just glad to be here. <laughs> and I exactly. Got in. I'm like I'm happy. I am just gonna prod along and I'll do the best that I can. Some of my classmates and I imagine some of our listeners too. And you guys are brilliant. <laughs> you guys are awesome. I'm just here to absorb from them. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you said you wanted to pivot to banking when you first got to Haas, but it sounds like you've changed course a little bit. Yeah, isn't that quite odd? Happens to a lot of us out here, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I came in here with an assumption of what I wanted in my career, but I pivoted over to thinking I wanted to do management consulting. That didn't turn out the way I wanted to, which is fine. And now I'm just kind of uh, course correcting again. But the great thing is that because we're at Haas, you know, we have the ability and the mind space to have that opportunity to do that. And at the end of the day, like I'm at LinkedIn, I'm doing pretty well for myself. I can't complain. All I'm here is just doing the best I can and just take uh, whatever doors are open for my career. I think that's a really great example of how we all come in or even before we go to school, we have this clear idea of what we think we want to do, especially since we have to write mm -hmm. it in all those essays and reiterate it in all our interviews. And then you get in, you're like, oh, what am I doing here? <laughs> or you start talking to people and mm -hmm. everyone's doing such interesting work and is so passionate about it too, that you're like, oh, that's what I want to do. No, I want to do this. And that's what's great about being in business school, I think, is that it is this finite period of time when we can try out a bunch of different things and figure out what really works or what doesn't work. As part-time students, you know, we have three years in our program. We are one year down. What do you think has been the most transformative part of the MBA program for you over the last year or so? Ooh, most transformative. I'll preface this by saying it's kind of twofold. One is obviously the people and two, the professors. 
So in terms of the people, I'm specifically referring to uh, my fellow classmates and alumni as well. It's been extremely eye-opening to exactly what you just talked about, Paulina. Like you, you think you have an idea of what you want to do, and then you talk to folks like, "Oh God, that's actually pretty interesting." And to specifically to professors, Professor Panos, who taught me for FIA. I mean, shout out to that guy, great professor. And then also to Professor Goodson, Peter Goodson. I took his turnarounds class and his private equity slash leverage buyouts class. Those two classes really opened my eyes to what I really want to do. Because I really enjoy the operations aspect of private equity, and then Austin, who was our GSI, you know, he opened my eyes up to the world of search funds. And I talked to a couple of students in the class to learn more of that opportunity. I didn't pursue it as much because I was in the middle of pursuing management consulting. But now that that ship has kind of sailed, I'm wondering if I still have an opportunity to connect back with those folks and say, "Hey, like the first path that I thought I wanted to do didn't work out.、Um, is there still time for me to pursue something else, specifically in this field?" So that's kind of my plan. But that's honestly been the most transformative part is the amount of resources and willingness that people are, will have in order to help you. That's just been such a powerful thing at Haas, and I, I can't iterate that enough. That's a great example of just. How you use the resources at school, and I think, and maybe I just didn't do my research enough before going to business school, but I think we don't do as good of a job of understanding like what you're going to expect when you come on campus and everything you'll have access to, and how strong the network is, how great the professors are willing to invest, how your peers are willing to invest. So I totally agree, and would love for you to kind of share how you got involved in student leadership. I still remember there's great photos of you from We Launch, which for those who don't know is <laughs> Berkeley's orientation of Alan leading his chant for his cohort because he just had all the school spirit. So would love for you to share about your involvement in student leadership on campus. Oh man, I feel called out, but it's completely true. <laughs> <laughs> He has his own Slack emoji. <laughs> it's great, and, and I think I got to give a、uh, props to、uh, the, the co-president Kevin Shane for making those. <laughs> so let me start off by saying, student leadership. I am a firm believer in really being involved in school activities. I, I mean, I had a lot of school spirit when I was at San Jose State, but I didn't really have the you know agency to do as much as I wanted to because I was focused on building my career, but. Now that I've established it and I got to like my dream school, this is my opportunity to like really be part of the student experience and the the spirit. At We Launch, I went all out. I enjoyed it. I unfortunately have a very loud voice <laughs> because I was I was in the military, and so I have this booming voice that my classmates are entirely aware of. And when it came time to student leadership, prior to that, I was leading like this Gold Twenty Twenty Two consulting study group. And Jillian Chu, she actually reached out to me because she really enjoyed the fact that I've been organizing this、uh, study group for our folks. Her and Kevin reached out to me and said, "Hey, Alan, we really appreciate the work that you've done for our student body to you know, get them prepared for consulting. You seem to have a knack for this stuff. Would you consider running for EVP?" I said, "Absolutely, I would," because you know, gave me an opportunity to be more involved. And then prior to that, I actually served as the VP of marketing for the finance club. I Decided to run for VP of marketing because I wanted to get more involved with the、uh, finance club and learn the opportunities and get to meet more people, cross spectrums, cohorts, and programs. So I've always been a proponent of getting yourself involved because if I only have one opportunity at a school that I always dreamt about going to, I better take full opportunity and go all in because if I don't, then 
four years, five years out of school, I'm going to wonder, did I take full advantage of my opportunity? And I'd like to think by the time I graduate, I'd like to be able to say, yes, I did. I think that's a great pitch for getting involved. And I still remember there was a panel during We Launch and one of the upperclassmen said, get involved, find a club you're passionate about or get involved in the overall association because it forces you out of your comfort zone. It forces you out of your cohort and Mm -hmm. it forces you to just network more. And that's what we're in school to do. Yes, we're here to learn and yes, we're here to push ourselves, but meeting amazing people, creating those connections, making lifelong connections, both on the friend side or even potential business side is so important and so crucial to being a part of the full MBA experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to say like to the program office, you guys do such an amazing job compiling, you know, not just a diverse group of students, but diverse in thought, diverse in intelligence, diverse in backgrounds, and to be quite honest, diverse in opinions. That is important to me because I've had the opportunity to speak to folks from different backgrounds, different perspectives, and that always gives me an opportunity to learn more, not just about myself, but about other people, because everything is really nuanced in the world. And I I really appreciate the program office for compiling that type of background for our student body. Completely agreed. We are in the process of interviewing the whole EW MBA exec team. So would love for you to share your vision for 2021 as a part of this five member team and what you're hoping to accomplish or what you'll consider a success a year from now. One thing that I'm really focused on is the student experience, specifically through COVID. So there's a high, more likely chance than not that by fall of 2021, there's going to be some type of us being back on campus. So one, how do we maintain the uh, amount of student connectivity while we're wrapping up our spring 2021 experience? That involves how do we go around or circumvent the being zoomed out? How do we go around that to maintain the amount of connectivity between programs and years? Uh, And then secondly, one thing that I'm really focused on, and I'm going to be working closely with the leadership team and also with the program office is when we do eventually get back to campus, how can we make this as seamless as possible? But then more importantly, how do we structure the events so that folks are motivated to come back and get involved as uh, best as they can. Because I recognize that it's, it's kind of like a big paradigm shift going from, you know, working at home in your sweatpants to wearing suits again. And how do we make that um, as easy as a transition as possible for our fellow classmates? But on top of that, how do we continue to motivate folks who are applying to Haas that this is kind of the place to be, that we focus on student experience. And so I, I want to make sure that being in this position that I focus on that because How do we set ourselves up for success so that further down the line, people look back and say, like, this was a point at which these guys took leadership or took the challenge to address the COVID transition and then did so in a way that allowed everyone equitable opportunities to come back with their best foot forward? I think that's so well said. I think being on the the current exec team our task, though we didn't know it at the time, was basically how do we transition a fully in-person program to a fully remote and then manage all the complexities concerning COVID. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely been a really interesting lesson in crisis management and communication and, you know, working remotely across the board. And I'm super excited to just see what you and the team are going to do in this year, because 
I don't know if people truly understand the amount of impact that you guys have and will have on how the program moves forward and working closely with everyone in the program office and really being the voice of the student body. So I'm really excited to see your vision come to life and we'll be 100% supportive of everything you guys do. Yeah, that means a lot. I, I hope that just because I'm the EVP doesn't mean that I'm above anyone. I'm just here to represent your guys' concerns. And I think what I would consider successful is that you guys don't know my name. Literally, that's it. Because if I do my job correctly, then I should not come up. I don't care for recognition. And if I do my job correctly, then I can continue to be in the background and then allow everyone else to have the best experience possible. As you think about this last year, what do you think has been the most challenging since we've gone remote, but also what do you think has been a big benefit of going remote or at least being in a more virtual environment? This goes without saying. Uh, the biggest challenge is maintaining the um, same level of enthusiasm, vigor, and passion when you're in an online environment. The reasons being, I don't really need to state them much, but you're sitting in front of your desk, and if those of us in the evening weekend program, you're game and then you're going to school. Sitting in the same spot, you don't get a chance to walk through uh, Haas campus and say, good God, I hated that day of work. Uh, you roll your, your sleeves back up, you put your pants <laughs> back on, and then you're like, okay, I'll get the backpack out and then walk five feet back to my desk. Uh, it's not the same experience, mm -hmm. you know? That's obviously been the biggest challenge, but to be honest, the surprising part is how willing people are and wanting to maintain some semblance of normalcy. So that involves, hey, like I know this is challenging, but let's hop on a Zoom call so we can at least see each other's faces or let's maintain as much communication as possible. And, and on top of that, the weird benefit was that even though I didn't get a consulting gig, I was able to go to almost all the events because I could just hop into a Zoom call. I wish that played out in my favor, but at the end of the day, like being able to talk to folks across different uh, spectrums, and on top of that too, Professor Peter Goodson mentioned this too, you could have speakers who we normally couldn't have because of the location, but we'd had speakers from all over the world because the online format made it easier for them. Yeah, it presents a lot of access that I'm hoping as we transition back doesn't go away, though, of course, I think that goes without saying everyone's super excited to be back in person because being Monday through Friday all day in Zoom and then doing another few hours on the weekend, just it's rough. It's rough. <laughs> it's doable, yep. but it's rough. <laughs> it's not the same. It's not the same. Exactly. <laughs> Would actually love for you to reflect a little bit. You've mentioned it a few times, your journey through consulting and how it didn't quite turn out the way you wanted it to. I would love for you to share your story on how that consulting journey went and what you've learned from it so far. Yeah, um, it, it, to be quite honest, it was very new to me. I've never thought about thinking about problems and putting frameworks to every single thing. The journey was eye-opening to me because I immediately incorporated a lot of the frameworks and mindsets into my daily life. And shout out to the acronym RRRN, which is Recommendation, Rationale, Risk, and Next Steps. That is, I don't know why, but that's a, <laughs> that's a great way to think about solving mm -hmm. problems. So shout out to the consulting club and to Paul Chen for giving me that acronym. Yeah, it didn't work out. I didn't get into the firms that I, or at least get an opportunity to interview for the firms that I wanted to. And that's okay. There's a lot of great candidates out there. And these firms are world-class and it sucks. I'll be completely honest. I really wanted to score that, but 
I think one thing that I've learned all throughout my life was resiliency and understanding that at the end of the day, I'm not in Kuwait and I'm not sitting in 110 degree weather. And shout out to my fellow veterans who know that feeling because like we've been in worse situations. <laughs> and so I always try to like put myself in a context. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm in a great place. I have a lot of great opportunities and I have a lot of great friends uh, and family who care about me. And uh, there will always be something down the line for my life so long as I continue to work hard. And I think this goes without saying, but continue to be kind to other people. I think that's a really overlooked aspect that people tend to forget about. Thank you for sharing. So wanted to transition and get to know a little bit more about Alan outside of Haas. So like we said in your intro, you do a lot of things outside of your day job and outside of being a student. Mm -hmm. So would love for you to talk a little bit about your photography and when you started, how you started and what that means to you today. So I began photography at a very early age. I, I grew up with a dad who was obsessed with taking photos of myself, my sister, my mom, himself, and the rest of our families as we went to like trips to LA for some reason. I don't know why that <laughs> warranted photos. But growing up, photos were a big part of my life. You documented a lot of things. And as I, I grew up, I had a very pivotal point in my life where I remember I took like this painting class in middle school. And I remember a teacher specifically said to me, Alan, earth without art is eh. so you take out the art and earth and so she was implying that like you need to have something creative in your mm -hmm. life and so i took that to say what are some of the things that i care a lot about I, I i can't draw worth anything don't even ask but one thing that i always uh came back to was photography my dad did it i i wanted to pick it up because it was an opportunity for me to carry on something that he loves and he still enjoys that i do it today i've been a photographer since i was in middle school and really quickly about my Haas essay, I wrote about when my car got broken into and all my photography equipment was stolen. Mm. And I wrote about the power of community because I founded a backpacking club. And part of my job after founding it was uh, documenting the stories, documenting the adventures. I wrote about how when my car got broken into, my backpacking club actually fundraised on, on, uh, for my behalf and they fundraised money so that they could pay back you know, the equipment that was stolen from me. And it showed that at the end of the day, it's not the photos. Uh, it's kind of the photographer. And it kind of reinforced to me that my value as a person wasn't in delivering photos. It was the ability to connect communities and connecting different parts of my friend groups and how they're connected, why we're important, why these relationships matter. Um, so that's why photography is important to me. When I take photos, either for clients or for my backpacking club, yeah, the execution and the the quality of the photos are important, but when I take a photo, I always try to focus in on what what does the photo imply? You know, they say pictures are worth a thousand words, and I truly believe that. Every single photo that I put on my website, and if you buy my prints, I donate like 90% of it to charity. Why does this photo matter? Uh, what was the story behind it? And I just want to put them in my shoes when I took the photo and what it means to me. So that's why photography is, it's just been such a gift in my life, and I hope folks who are listening, they have something that they can lean on to that, that matters so much to them that it, they consider integral to their identity. You mentioned you donate 90% of your, your proceeds to charities. Would you like to tell us a little bit about those charities and why they matter to you? Absolutely. 50% of it goes to the Wounded Warrior. And I forget that I changed the percentage recently, but the it's split evenly between the next two, which is the Sierra Club and Silicon Valley Food Bank, mm. uh, Second Harvest. Why do those matter to me? 50% of it, Wounded Warrior, I, I'm a veteran. I've lost some very close friends of mine in the military. 
Um, growing up, I was poor, so I, I had to rely a bit on food banks. Um, so I always give back as much as I can. I, I donate regularly. Man, the Sierra Club, because I, I love the outdoors, I, I believe in their mission, and I believe in constantly giving back to organizations that protect our wilderness. So those are the three pillars that make me feel as if I'm able to give back to you know, things that matter to me. It's really impactful. I, I love how you encapsulated that photography for you. Yes, it's a hobby, you could say, but it's really a passion point and a, really a reflection on how you view the world and how you interact with it. The way you've incorporated it into your communities, the way it plays to your creative side, and then also has social impact, right? It's not going straight into your pocket to pay your tuition, maybe a little bit does, but it's really making an impact on you yeah. know, those who view your art, but also directly from a monetary standpoint. So I think that's great. You yeah. mentioned your club a lot. And so I really wanted to dig in there. Would love to know the origin story. What is the club about? Greenfoot hiking mm -hmm. and how people can get involved. Yeah. So I founded it with my, my best friend, who is my cousin uh, and my other very close friend, Steven, who was my CrossFit coach. So it began because I recognized that in the Asian American community, or at least in the outdoor community, starting there, there was a lack of diversity. And not only that, but for the folks who are minorities, POCs, when we do tend to venture outdoors, there's not a lot of resources available to understand, like leave no trace, what are the best practices, which trails to do, how do I get started? How do I get a reservation at Yosemite? How do you do all these things? Uh, well, the, the benefit that I had is that I kind of cut my teeth in the outdoors growing up. And so I know a lot of these ins and outs of infrastructure, of getting permits, backpacking, what are the best practices, leave no trace, etc. And I founded it, Greenfoot, implying, you know, Greenfoot is code for like you're brand new. Mm. We founded it because I saw an opportunity to connect outdoor enthusiasts, specifically uh, minorities, to uh, a community of folks who are enthusiastic about it, but then also provide them the resources to learn about the outdoors on a sustainable manner. So what do we do? We had a lot of backpacking 101 trips, and that involved what are the fundamentals of backpacking? I, I try to use this as an opportunity to bring a lot of equ equitable opportunities for folks who don't know anything about backpacking and folks who want to get into mountaineering. What are some of the steps you need to know? What about rock climbing? And so I try to democratize a lot of this information because a lot of the information is hard to find. And I'm going to be completely frank. A lot of the REI catalogs or a lot of the marketing that, that targets these people, they're for uh, Caucasian folks. And so it's challenging for us as POCs to see yourselves in these environments when the marketing itself is not pioneered towards you. And so I saw an opportunity to provide that to specifically the Bay Area, an opportunity to learn about these fundamentals. And I don't charge anything at all. I, I believe the mission is if you're passionate about the wilderness and you're passionate about the outdoors, here's our group. And so after COVID's over, I am happy to host the workshops again. It's www.greenfoothiking.com. I will be honest, I am the creator for the website. It's not completely done because I've been busy with school. So my apologies. But once I'm done with that, I, I plan to take that on again because it's something I care uh, deeply about. 
I think it's a great way to give back to the community. Again, it combines everything you're passionate about too, which I think Mm -hmm. is great. Like if you look at all the things that you've talked about with me today, they all overlap and intertwine very well so that you know, I know looking at you and speaking with you, like this is the authentic Alan and the things you're passionate about and have energy for and derive energy from is just so obvious. And that's, it's so great that you have found that path and gotten to where you are. It feels like you've culminated a lot of things really nicely. Do you think there's anything in your past that was a defining moment or defining mentor that really pushed you to where you are today? Ooh, man, there's a bunch. I, I will say that it's when I, I, this is going to sound a little weird, but it, it honestly came when I came back from this trip, uh, this backpacking trip at Ansel Adams Wilderness. It was a five-day, four-night backpacking trip with uh, my cousins, my best friend, and a couple of other buddies. This is prior to us creating the Greenfoot Hiking Club. I, I took a photo. I did a pretty cheesy video and put a lot of like John Muir quotes. I'll say that that was fundamental to me because I came back and I remember I talked to my dad after the trip and I talked to a lot of my heroes about what I wanted to do in my life afterwards. And this is when the idea of the uh, pay what you can rock climbing gym culminated. This is when the idea of the Greenfoot Hiking Club culminated and it it crescendoed into how do I get there? And it was, I got to get back to studying for the GMAT, or I, at least I got to get started on studying for the GMAT. And it was a snowball effect of thinking far out of these are the things that I want to do for the world uh, because it's important to me and I think mm-hmm. there's value behind it. And how do I get there? One was I need to get myself connected to extraordinary folks and might as well go to the school that I've always want to go to that I didn't get a chance to when I was an undergrad because I didn't have the funds. And coming back from that trip, I, I thought a lot about like, who is the man that I want to be in 10 years? And I was, I think I was 24 at the time. So I, I'm like four <laughs> years away from that. I just gave my age away. But um, I, I just thought to myself, who is the man that I want to be? And is anything that I'm doing right now going to impact the lives of those who I want to be a mentor to? And the answer was no. And so here are the things that I need to do to my life to set myself to a path of success. But more importantly, how do I act as a conduit for folks who grew up in the poor side of San Jose or poor at all? How do I act as a role model to them to let them know that there's so much more in life that you can do? And how do I continue to set a great example for them? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what to say other than I've just been, I've just been so blessed to have great mentors and friends and family in my life and been extremely lucky to get in a Haas because without that, I, I really wouldn't be where I am. And I hope that by doing this podcast and by continuing to do the mm-hmm. things that I believe in, that one day someone could look back, at least in my path, and at least say something like, hey, like this is someone who I see myself in. And if I don't have someone who I look up to, like this is someone who I can look up to and then be on a better path to do something better in my life to not just help myself, uh, but those around me. Because that's always been my uh, passion point is how can I help other people? And you can really see that come to life. So I would say it's a very strong passion of yours that we've talked about today and you can see that come through. And I think that it identifies well with one of the reasons I love doing the podcast here at Haas because 
you know, one of our goals is to do just that, share student stories, but really share the journeys that brought people to Haas so that hopefully someone out there listening who's considering going to business school, considering applying to Haas, that they can hear these journeys, they can hear these perspectives and identify with them and really solidify that Haas is the right place for them or that business school is for them, no matter what their background is, no matter you know how they grew up or where they started from. Yeah, absolutely. Echo that completely. And the last thing I wanted to touch on for Alan outside of school and work is your podcast. So you have a podcast that you're a host of and you have a great mic setup, which we love because we're doing everything remote. So tell us about your podcast, how it got started, who you do it with and why should people listen? Oh, thank you for the shout out. I'll, I'll use this opportunity <laughs> as a platform for mm-hmm. uh, my podcast that I co-host. It's called Real Asian Podcast, R-E-E-L. How it got started? Well, my best friend, my cousin, Ray and I, we firmly believe that one thing that's lacking in Asian American culture is uh, good representation. But then we thought about how do we, how do we connect our stories and how do we connect the larger Asian American experience to the world? And we thought about doing interviews with thought leaders or leaders in the Asian American community. But then we were like, you know, that's not really playing a lot in our personalities. I'd like to think we're pretty funny. I'd like to think so. <laughs> to my classmates who are listening, I hope you agree with this. But then we thought, gosh, we really love film. And film is a conduit for how, you know, larger Americans view culture. And, you know, culture begets film and film begets culture. Mm-hmm. So we thought, why don't we use this as an opportunity to discuss films that portray Asian Americans? And then we thought, what about Asians? So we thought about how can we connect our stories, our the way we grew up, the way that we were taught, and how do we relate that to films that are prevalent in larger Hollywood? And how do we dissect them? How do we make it fun? And how do we put it into the larger macroeconomic sense of what does this mean? And so we, we set out on a journey of making this podcast to, one, make episodes about Asian-American films that we've watched, the popular ones like Crazy Rich Asians and Mulan 2020, which I think, by the way, is an abomination. And if you listen to the podcast, you'll know why. It's an attack on femininity. But on top of that, it got started because we cared about the Asian-American story and how do we, how do we get folks to listen? And it's about making it funny making it relevant and then gosh like let's talk about films that people want to talk about the last one that we did was the movie last christmas with henry golding and amelia clark and we just thought well i mean it's funny it's on the theme of the holidays and let's do it it just gives us an, uh, an opportunity to use our platform to discuss about larger issues uh, in the world especially in the asian american and asian community And we'll make sure to link out to the podcast so listeners can check it out, give you guys some some downloads. Give us the five-star ratings, everyone. That'd be great. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Well, I want to transition to some kind of quick ender questions for our interview today. So, of course, we're in school. What are some electives that you're taking in spring or that you have your eye on in spring, summer, or fall for next year? You kind of talked about you took... Turnarounds already, FIA, which is financial information analysis. What else are you looking forward to? So I'm a typical guy here. I love classes with Professor Peter Goodson. So Professor, if you're listening to this, I just want to say you're awesome. <laughs> I am already signed up to take his mergers and acquisitions class. I think he's a great professor. But given that like my original path was banking and then consulting, I was kind of catering my electives to that. But given that didn't happen, uh, now is an opportunity for me to take classes that sound exciting to me. Uh, I haven't figured that out yet. But I think that's the benefit of kind of being in this position. It's all electives here on out. 
and now I get an opportunity to take classes that I think could be、uh, beneficial not just to my career, but can make me a better person, or make me more entrepreneurial, or make me more I don't know funny. <laughs> I hope. Love that. I'll be in M and A with you. I'm taking M and A and Superhuman right now, so I'll also have to wait for ad、oh, drop.、Sweet. So you know, join me in Superhuman, and we'll become <laughs> Superhumans together while also acquiring companies.、Uh, what's your camera setup? Oh, here we go! I'm about to get nerdy. Let's do it. So I I used to be a Nikon guy for the pat oh for like over a decade, but now I am a Sony、mm. advocate. And let me tell you how I got there really quickly. So I dove into the 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 financials of both Sony and Nikon, and I thought and I looked at their photography division, and I was like, Sony's diverting a lot of R and D for their、mm. camera business. This means that they're probably gonna pump out a lot of great products. And I looked at like the landscape of their products, and Nikon, unfortunately, was was kind of putting subpar mirrorless products. And I got a shout out to Professor Panos because he gave me an opportunity to really understand the numbers. And I was like, you know, this probably means that Sony is gonna turn out a lot of great products. And I took that opportunity to switch over. I'm using the Sony A7R4 camera right now. So yeah, I took a very like rationed financial approach to how I switched cameras because I saw. The numbers supporting Sony, and lo and behold, they are pumping out <laughs> significantly better products because I know they're able to divert a lot more money in the R and D. That's so great! It reminds me of our Apple case we did in strategy, where it was like Apple dedicated two to three x percent、mm-hmm. of their sales dollars to R and D, and that's how they got to where they are. But I agree. I also have a Sony setup, even though my dad worked at Kodak for twenty plus years. But you know,、Ooh. we know how Kodak ended、we、up. Know that so. <laughs> Sony, it is. Favorite trail or area to hike in the Bay Area? Oh, and that's like asking a favorite Gee, child, huh? Hard question. <laughs> it really is. God,、um, absent of like distance and whatever, I will say. Oh man, this is hard. It's like I'm choosing、mm-hmm. which child's my favorite.、Um, favorite trail would be the Eagle Peak Loop. Starting in Mitchell Canyon in Mount Diablo, six dollars for parking. Unfortunately. All right, all right.、Uh, what is your must-have post-backpacking meal? Oh, I I immediately go get a burger. If in and out, if I'm feeling adventurous, I will drive straight from the trail to In and Out. I go ham there. I'm talking, <laughs> I'm talking four by four light salt on the patty, fries light well, two of them. And then a Neapolitan shake. If I'm feeling adventurous, but if anything else, it's gotta be a burger and fries and a beer. Always a beer. <laughs> love that, love that. Well, Alan, thank you so much for being on here at Haas with us this week. We'll make sure to link to all of your websites, your Instagram. We'll plug all your things. So, listeners, please check out the show notes to get links to all of Alan's stuff. And、uh, I just want to end it up by saying thanks for having me here. I, I just want to say for folks listening to this, one thing I hate is cynicism, and I always believe the best in others. That people have the best intentions. I think so long as you work hard, and if you think Haas is the right choice for you, a right fit for you, keep working at it. There's amazing people here. Work hard, be kind, and, and amazing things can happen to you in your career. So thanks again, Paulina. Great way to close it. And thanks for tuning in to hear at Haas. Know a Haasie that has a story to tell? Nominate them on our website, haaspodcast.org. 
And if you enjoyed this week's episode, please subscribe and leave us a rating and review. And don't forget to share out this podcast with your favorite bears. This episode was published with help from one of our associate producers, Nick Gerwig, and edited by Kyle Cook. Until next time, I'm Paulina Lee, and this is Here at Haas.